first reading this morning is from the book of Genesis. And if you'd like to follow along, you go all the way to the beginning of the Red Pew Bible and locate this passage on page 8. You're reading Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord. God. Our second reading this morning is just a little bit ahead of that. Uh, If you want to follow along, it's in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, on page 45 in the Pew Bible. Exodus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. the people of Israel were, were fruitful, right? And multiplied. Wow. Had we gone verse by verse from Genesis 1-1 to Exodus 1, we would have seen over and over again when, when God calls His people, He calls them to be fruitful and multiply. I'm rejoicing as this herd of kids makes their way to the back because that was a very physical thing. And some of you are doing really good at that. Some of you are doing really good at that. Being fruitful with children. Um, that's a God thing. That's a God thing. Don't ever apologize for that. That's, that is a primary place of, of discipleship, of passing on the faith. It's really cool. And also, as some of you have done, that you foster and, and some of you adopt. Then even those, you not only are fruitful with your families, but you, but you reach out and include others as well. But the multiplication wasn't just with, with uh, physical um, people. It was also with, with spiritual lives. Be fruitful and multiply. 
And, and the astounding thing is, as, as we begin our study of Exodus together, the astounding thing is that that had happened, that, that for 400 years, you think that 60 years is a long time, or 50 years is a long time, 400 years they had been in Egypt in a foreign land, and God had blessed them richly. They went in with 70, 70 descendants who went into Egypt. They came out with estimates somewhere around 1.5 to 2 million people, descendants of, of Jacob who came out at the Exodus. So, so in a sense... The Exodus is a celebration. Um, people have been, have been faithful. They have been fruitful. They have multiplied. And now God has said, I'm taking you to my promised land. This has not been the ultimate destination for you. I'm, I'm drawing you out so that I can bring you in to the place that I dwell. Where the place that I am, you may also be. And so, uh, as we begin our study of Exodus, I, I have to tell you, I've got to stop for a second, because many of you were teasing me about lengthening the Jonah study. You remember that? Giving me a hard time about that? And I couldn't figure out. It was supposed to be an eight-week study, and it ended up being 11 weeks. And, and I, I, I thought, God, am I just not being faithful in covering the passages that you want me? It just seemed like there was more, right? Well, and then God had us start our Exodus study on the day, the week, that we discover that we are going to be on an Exodus of our own. That God is calling us to a faithful journey. I cannot account for God's timing, but, but just yet another amazing way that he provides moment by moment for us. I'm going to believe that he does that for us now as we begin our new study of the people of God on the move of Exodus. Pray with me one more time, would you? God, thank you for your presence here as our Discovering Christian Community class was talking. We will listen for your spoken word, God. We will look diligently into your written word, but God, we do both for the sole purpose of encountering the living word, Jesus Christ. Meet us here, would you? I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Mm. Well, keep your, your finger. Actually, you don't even need to keep your finger in Exodus 1. Um, it was a brief passage just describing who went in and who came out, and I just want you to anchor in this truth that they were fruitful in those 400 years that where they were in, uh, in, in a way, in exile, in a foreign land, away from their home. But I, I don't know that we can understand the book of Exodus uh, unless we look, first of all, at a large uh, view of it, and then uh, take a small view of a critical passage that happened before. Let me just let me just introduce the idea of this book by saying there are several themes in Exodus, but but if I had to encapsulate them all in one word or one expression, I would say that the theme of Exodus is simple. It's God's glory. It's God's glory. And again, I apologize if you're if you're uh, if you're a seeker interested in knowing more about God and not yet at a place where you've made a personal commitment to him, it sounds odd that God would be so interested in his 
own glory. It sounds from a human perspective selfish and self-centered. And it would be if God were not glorious. It would be if he were not true. It would be if he were not omnipresent, omniscient, if, if all the things that he is. But because he is those things, then it is truth that he is imparting to us when he invites us to experience his glory. And so, in many ways, we're going to walk with the people of God as they encountered and experienced God's glory on the journey. And we know, if, if I were to ask you again, as I do about three times a year, what is the chief purpose of human beings, right? What is the chief end of man? Many of our minds are going back to one of our, one of our core documents, the Westminster Confession of Faith and, and its shorter catechism, where the question says, what is the chief end of man? And we know that the chief end of man is not only to glorify God, the book of Exodus is about, but also to enjoy Him forever, right? To find joy in Him. And so I just invite you in this journey to seek the glory of God, but also seek that deep satisfaction, that deep contentment that comes from being in right relationship to the living God. As we've discovered in our Discovery Bible studies, there are two questions that kind of help us unpack things. Uh, when we're uh, studying a passage of Scripture, I just want to brief us again on those before we go to our Genesis Scripture today. Two questions that we often ask, questions five and six in a Discovery Bible study series, uh, are what do we learn about God? Right? What do we learn about God in this passage? And in Exodus, we learn that God is worthy of glory. That God is worthy. It's about God, not about us. But the second question that we often ask when we're doing Discovery Bible study together is what do we learn about people? And let me just summarize at the very beginning here by saying in Exodus we learn that we, we the people of God, are saved for God's glory. We're saved for His glory. These are people who, who uh, the culture around them has dramatically changed and now those who blessed them when they came are now persecuting them in horrific ways. And, and, and so um, they are a people, as we'll see next week, whose blessing has turned to bitterness, right? There are people who are now suffering and need to be rescued and need to be saved. And, and in Exodus, we learn we are saved for God's glory. But, but then he goes on and God reveals more of himself. And we discover that we are set apart. That's what holiness is. We are, we are made holy. We are set apart for God's glory as well. And I want to invite you, it's easy in a dynamic like we're experiencing to say, what do we do, God? Did we do you know, something wrong? And God says, no, I'm setting you apart. I'm setting you apart for my glory. But also in Exodus, and in our passage in Genesis today, we're going to see that we're also sent for God's glory. God has a purpose for us, and he has a command for us that he asks us, no, he commands us to respond to. We will not necessarily capture the will and heart of God if we disobey that sent command. We are saved for his glory. We are set apart for his glory. We are sent for his glory. That's where we're going to go in the next, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't put a number on it, from now until Christmas, right? From now until Advent, we're going to walk with the people of God as they experience the promises of God. 
But to do that, we, we, um, we're going to have to look at a little bit of the backstory. Now, the whole, the whole backstory is the book of Genesis, which is just a phenomenal book, right? And, and in fact, the largest portion of the book of Genesis sets the table for this. Remember that verse in Exodus said, and Joseph was already in Egypt, 50 chapters. That doesn't sound right. A huge portion of chapters uh, in, in Genesis are dedicated to to um, the life of Joseph and how God prepared miraculously the way for his people by sending ahead Joseph. But I want to remind you of some of the earlier story. I want to remind you of, of some of the people who, who set the table for the experience that the people of God had uh, in the book of Genesis. And, and we call this book that we're studying together Exodus, um, that comes from the Greek translation uh, and, uh, of the word uh, to, to depart. But the Hebrews never, they would say, what book are you talking about if you said Exodus? They, they would not call it um, the book of Exodus. The Hebrews always took the first line of the book as a title. So they took the first line of a book and, and that was their title. So the first line of the book of Exodus, you heard just a moment ago, we read it as, these are the names of the sons of Israel. That, aren't you glad we have the Greek version of it? We can call it Exodus instead. The Hebrews knew this book as, these are the names of the sons of Israel. And that's not quite true. They knew it as, and these are the names. And the next book, Leviticus, began with and. And the next book began with and. This is all part of God's gospel story. That begins in the first verse of Genesis and ends in the last verse of Revelation. And the story is continuing. The story goes on, right? But what is this story about? Let me just couch it in these terms just in summary today. God seeks to live in covenant relationship with his people. With his people. Now, I'm, I'm a little concerned today about um, Sean and Lisa Radke. Um, are you guys in covenant relationship? Okay, one of them's nodding. The other one says, this sounds like a trick question. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, she's looking down there. They're sitting at opposite sides of the pew. Um, I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, I do know this for a fact, that they are in covenant relationship. They stood before God and said, God, I believe you're going to do something new here. You are going to take two separate, individual, broken lives and, and you're going to make them one in covenant relationship. A covenant is an agreement between two or more parties that, in the words probably that you used, I don't know this for a fact, till death do us part, right? That, that uh, if any one of us breaks this covenant, death is the consequence, right? And they not only entered into that relationship together, but they invited a third party into that, believing Ecclesiastes that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. They invited God to be the center of that, and they entered into covenant relationship. Sean did that when he entered into covenant relationship with Jesus through personal faith in Jesus. I will surrender my life to you, Jesus. I will entrust myself to you if you will be my God and allow me to be your son, right? 
So we, we live in covenant relationships all the time. Here's the struggle. Uh, when, when Sean became ordained, he entered into another covenant relationship. When he became a part, when he entered on the mission field, he entered another one. God, uh, Sean is, uh, understands this dynamic of covenant relationships. Here's the deal. Our culture doesn't recognize covenant relationships, right? Are you watching? Are you paying attention? Our culture is systematically destroying covenant relationships. Here's why. Not because our culture has anything against marriage. It's because our culture has something against God. Right? And it's not Sean and Lisa our culture is worried about. It's Sean and Lisa plus God that our culture is worried about. So there's open warfare on covenant, personal covenant relationships with the Lord. And there's been some spectacular failures in the last month uh, in that regard. Uh, marital covenants um, under attack in our culture, not, again, because uh, people are bad, but because um, the evil one and the world and even our own flesh want to destroy this aspect of covenant relationship with God. Know that that even your your covenant relationship with our church is under attack, right? The evil one's going to want to give you all kinds of reasons why you should break covenant, why you should say, nope, I'm not going to keep my vows, either as a leader or even the vows you took as a member. I'm not going to keep them. Uh, and you can find plenty of reasons. We're broken, sinful people. But the goal is not about us. It's about breaking covenant relationship. God is all about covenant relationships. And he seeks to live in covenant relationships with his people. He actually calls us into covenant relationships. When we first began praying for our children, we just prayed, God, would you set apart a spouse for our children that, that can be a live in covenant relationship? God, would you at the center? We, we continue to pray that for our children and for our extended spiritual family as well. But God has always been in the business of calling people together who will glorify him and live in covenant relationships. Now, I just want to highlight something that um, there's a record of God's covenant with his people. Uh, in, our, in our faith, we understand these as covenants of grace. That, there is, that God has made one covenant, and that's that he will pour out his grace on us, right? But it's evidenced in individual covenants with different parties. We know them of Adam and Eve, right? There was a covenant with Adam and Eve. By the way, it was a, it was a conditional covenant, right? And they broke the conditions and they, they broke covenant with God and they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They made the, God made a covenant with Noah, remember? It, it only took five chapters of Genesis for things to get so out of control that God was ready and did judge the entire world and began again with one man, one family who would be his person. And God made a covenant with Noah. This one was, if, I, if my understanding is correct, unconditional. Uh, I'm never going to destroy the earth again by a flood. Thank you, God. He's, he's kind of working the other side of that a little too much right now in Evansville, but, but um, there will be rain again, I promise. Um, never again will I destroy the world by flood, right? Then uh, God did yet another covenant, and it might be in bold on our thing. Yeah, Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham. We're going to look just, just for a moment at that covenant today. 
But then he made a covenant with David that is continuing to this day and, and glory to God. He made a covenant with us through Jesus. He made the new covenant with us that had been prophesied for 800 years before the time of Christ. He, he made a new covenant. Can we go back, though, just for a moment to look at that covenant with Abraham? It's going to be really important for us as we learn how to live in relationship with God right now in these trying times, right? Let's look at that relationship together. God blesses us in covenant relationships. And what I'm saying by way then is that that when we're outside of covenant relationship, then we're outside of the blessing of God. Does that mean that we curl up and die? No, we can crank along for quite a while outside the covenant relationship with God, but we're laying a foundation that will ultimately be destroyed. God blesses us when we're in covenant relationships, and he promises to give us and our lives meaning and purpose in those covenant relationships. When we break covenant, anybody here broken covenant with God before? One person has? Two? My wife? Okay. Anybody here broken covenant? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the good news. When we break covenant with God, He takes the initiative to re-covenant. That's what that whole sequence of covenants was about. God is always looking. Now, this won't happen forever. God will not always be open to a new covenant. There's going to come a time when, when, when people who reject this last covenant with Jesus, there is no more, right? But we're not there yet. Right now, the door is still wide open. God always re-covenants with His people, even at great cost to Himself. And I'm, I'm, this is Dave here. I warned my, our, our Discovering Christian Community class that I do this periodically. But what I'm noticing is that He always starts with a person. He always starts with you. Um, yeah, we, we need to have, make decisions as a congregation. We need to make decisions as a city. We certainly need to make decisions as a country, right? But it always starts with you. It starts with an individual and builds a community of faith around them, right? So let's look at an example of this in the Abrahamic Covenant. And this is going to be tiny, tiny print, I think, on your screen here. But um, I made myself notes in the midst of this scripture so that we can actually see a couple things in here. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Genesis 12 in just a moment. And I'm going to actually ask you to jump ahead with us at Miranda for a second. I want to uh, show you another tool for your personal Bible study. I have so enjoyed the tool of SOAPs, um, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, Sharing. That's just really blessed me, especially in the last year, year and a half. There's another tool that, that is very helpful with, um, with, with passages of Scripture, especially today's. That's called um, a spec analysis. Have any of you ever heard that term before? Spec analysis. And it's just an acronym, S-P-E-C-K, to help you um, look at a passage and ask questions of it, similar to Discovery Bible study. A spec analysis starts with S. Is there a sin to confess or avoid in this passage, right? Does God say something about sin? Is there some sin to confess or avoid? The P stands for promise. Is there some promise that God is communicating to me that I can claim? The E stands for example. Is there some example in this scripture that I can 
that I can follow? What character traits do I see in the characters of, in the story? Which actions are commendable? Watch out, watch out. God often puts stories in Scripture for us that are bad examples, right? Bad examples. And even more complex as in our story today, some aspects of, of the example are good and some aspects are bad. So uh, he gives us real examples to look at, right? C stands for, is there some command for me to obey? The K stands for, is there some knowledge about God that I can grow? It's kind of like the question, what do I learn about God from this passage, right? Spec, sins, promises, examples, commands, and knowledge. Let's look at this passage together. Let me read it for you one more time. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, his name before he believed God, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old and departed from Haran. I'm going to jump to verse 7 for a second. Then the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Are there some commands for us in there? Yeah, yeah, God told him to go, right? God told him to leave his country, his people. His father's house, right? Uh, do you remember in our study of Jonah when we talked about identity and how we find our identity? When the sailors were asking Jonah, uh, you know, what is, what is, who are you? They asked all these same questions. Who, whose house are you from? What is your country? You know, who are your people? Our identity is so tied up in those things. And God told Abram to leave those things, to leave those things. What he's really saying is, leave your identity, your nation, leave your security, your, your, your kindred. Leave even your future as you know it, which was his father's house. Well, I've got good news and bad news today. Um, the good news is this. This is not what God is asking of us. The bad news is he's asking instead for everything. He wants all of you. And I would, I would do you a disservice if I made it any easier than that. God wants all of you and, and gave all of himself so that he could have it. And so, so will God ask all these things of us? I don't know. Um, initially, what we're talking about is simply moving from a building, right? He's not asking us to leave our families. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the opposite here in just a second. He's not asking a lot of things of us, but, but he is asking us to go. That go sounded familiar, didn't it? We've been camping the last two years on the Great Commission. In your going, make disciples of all people groups, right? So, so there, are, there are two commands here. I'm going to just anchor us on the first one and then come back to the second one later. The first one is this, go. Go. I will make you a great nation. Go. But there's some promises in here too. 
and and uh, they're going to go by fast. I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. I didn't leave a slot for you to write them down. You might have to scribble them on <clears throat> on the side, but I want you to see them. I want you to see them. The Lord said, go from your country to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. I called Dave uh, Serling. I see Ellen. I don't see Dave this morning, but I called him and said, how many... How many um, how many children does does Bob Serling have, right? How many how many um, how many family members does Bob have? And I was expecting like five thousand, right? Because he's been very fruitful, right? Um, and Dave Dave told me um, Bob didn't even know I'm talking about him yet. Um, Dave told me uh, thirty six. Does that sound right, Ellen? Thirty six. I thought that number was small. Um, I have 30, or my father has 37 right now, and then my dad's 85, so he's pretty close to Bob's age too. But um, that's amazing, right? That, that is amazing. Uh, God took Joseph and made him a nation of 2 million, of 2 million in 400 years. The first promises to Abram is that God will make him a great nation, right? And then he says, I will bless you. I will, this is not about your suffering. I will bless you. A second promise. I will bless you. And, and further, I will make your name, Abram, great. Abram meant exalted father. Um, we know the word Abba, Abram, Abram, exalted father. But I'm going to make you Abraham, right? I'm going to make you uh, a father of many nations. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And I will bless those, a fourth promise, who bless you. And I will, dis- I will curse those who dishonor you, God said. A fourth promise. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. A fifth promise. And in verse 7, and I will give you this land. Wow. So, so do we go out and we just say all those promises automatically apply to us? Yes and no. I was about to say an emphatic no. This is a very specific promise to Abram. But one of Abram's descendants through the Davidic covenant as well was a guy named Jesus. And all God's promises are yes in Jesus, right? And so God fulfilled his promise to Abram. So I, this is Dave, but I don't, I don't feel bad about saying, do you know God's promises for you? Because if you just look at, at circumstances, if you just look at, at what you have to give up, you'll miss the whole point. You'll miss the fact that God is making incredible promises to you, especially to you. Even beyond anything that Abraham experienced, you'll do greater things and you'll experience greater things than even Abraham, right? Focus on the promises of God as well. But there's a challenge here in these verses as well. God is inviting you into covenant relationship with himself. How is your relationship with God right now? Right? How is it? Because he wants to be intimately involved in your life. 
Just like he wants to be uh, husbands and wives to experience intimate, physical, and emotional, and spiritual relationship together. So God wants to have that with you. God wants that kind of covenant relationship. And that relationship is only fulfilled through the promise and blessing which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How is your relationship with God through Christ? The book of Hebrews, we were originally going to read it, but the book of Hebrews um, talks about these heroes of the faith. And right up front there is Abraham, right? Who went, even though he didn't know where he was going, right? And, and believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When you take that step of faith and believe that Christ died for your sins, for you, so that you might be set free from that. When you take that step of faith and believe that God raised him from the dead to validate his action on your behalf, you enter into covenant relationship with God by faith. By faith. Hebrews 11.1 says... Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Beloved, we're called to something much bigger than ourselves. God is moving and God is doing something far beyond all that we could ask or imagine. But it's got to begin with each of us as individuals. Now, while God will bless you in this life. It may not be in the way that you expect. It, you know, I, I set out when Karen and I first were engaged, we kind of set out our plan for our life, right? 2.7 children, a chicken in every pot, right? Uh, we, we thought two dogs, but now we got like 15. We, the, or it's the same dog that just keeps running around and around. I'm not sure. Um, we thought we knew God's plan. But God's plan always has unexpected journeys for us. But that doesn't mean that we're not called. That doesn't mean that he's not inviting us to be a part of something he's been doing ever since the beginning of time and will do until Christ returns, right? One day God asked Abraham to trust him and to change the agenda of his life, and he did, and God changed the world as a result of that. What could God do through you? If you would simply, how does the hymn go? Trust and obey, right? Trust and obey. I confess, I don't know what his agenda for your life will be. I don't know what his agenda for us will be. This is a moment-by-moment adventure. But I do know this, that if you trust him, he will change your life forever. If we trust him, he will change the world forever. He will use us for his purpose and his glory. He will use you for his purpose and his glory. Do you remember earlier I said there was two commands? I just mentioned one, right? I just said go. What was the other one? Well, it was tucked away in that passage and it's tucked away in, in, an, in a relaxed sense at the end of verse 2, so that you will be a blessing. But it's actually more of a command than a description in Scripture. 
God is commanding you to go, yes, but God is commanding you to bless other people. I want to charge you in the midst of all the, the circumstances that we're experiencing, enter into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then go and bless your family. We're going to set apart November. It's not just going to be a no-shave November. It's going to be, it's going to be um, bless your family November. Um, let's focus on our families. Let's pray daily and diligently for our families. Then we're going to set December apart. Let's, let's bless our workplaces and our neighborhoods. Let's find ways to use something they're used to, the, the Christmas story, to bless them and to bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I'm so excited that this thing's getting legs in January. We're going to, we're going to focus on our faith community and pray for one another and churches all over the city. Not everybody's on board yet, but churches all over the city are catching the excitement. Uh, and it's getting, it's scaring me. It's getting out of hand here. But, but people are picking it up. And, and we're going to pray for our houses of faith in January. And then, as you heard, God is just putting legs on this thing. And, and God willing, in February, we're going to pray for every person in the city of Evansville, Metro Evansville, by name, for 30 days. So start now. Bless your family. Bless your neighborhood, right? Bless your faith community. Bless our church. And, and, and go and bless your city. And let's, let's reserve judgment, right? When you go on a retreat, they say, you know, um, don't, don't wait. Wait till it's done before you pass judgment. Let's reserve judgment. Let's, let's risk not responding in fear, but instead responding in faith. And let's believe that God is going to do something amazing in and through us. Amen? Pray, pray with me, would you? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even as you as you entered into Abram's life through no, no uh, particular uh, uh, blessing of his own. He did nothing, God, to earn it. You just chose him. Just as you chose Abram, God, I believe you're choosing us to impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bless our families and our neighborhoods and our community and God to the uttermost parts of the earth. But God, we, we sense that you are building something beautiful. And, and, and it's a church not made of stone. It's a church made of, of living stones, of, of human hearts, of, of people who are saying, God, wherever you send me, I will go as long as you go with me. God, build this new church, would you? On the foundation of Jesus Christ, build us, God, on Christ our cornerstone. And God, I'm going to believe that that, that that will be enough. We won't have to know moment by moment because if we're centered on the rock, if we're centered on the cornerstone of Christ alone, then God, you'll take care of everything else. We love you. We pray in these confusing and, and scary times that you would be our cornerstone. But we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Stand with us as we worship together, would you?